I invite you to open your Bibles to James chapter 1, verse 19 to 25. I'll just let you know, in order to get over to the banquet after the service, I, I won't be shaking hands or greeting, but I greet you now in the name of the Lord, and hopefully I'll greet you later at the banquet. Verses 19 to 25, hear now the word of our God. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Father, we ask now that you would... Enable us to hear and receive and and do your word for your glory in Christ's name. Amen. I don't know in the year and a half or so that I've been here and preaching if I've mentioned to you my love for my grandmother's cooking. Um, And her meals often came from her garden. I used to love working in the garden with her. In the mornings, afternoon, whenever it was, it took perseverance, diligence, and patience, none of which I had or enjoyed, but I did like being with her, and I liked the meal that she would make afterwards with the vegetables that she grew, and we got to eat them. Now, I bring up that story uh, just because that's the image we have here in our passage this morning. Uh, The other week, James taught us something about the Word, that the Word of God was the seed in the womb issuing, issuing forth birth, and now he speaks of the Word of God as seed planted in the soil of your heart, springing forth the salvation of your soul. God has tilled the ground of your hearts. He replaced your heart of stone with a heart of flesh so that the seed of the Word takes root in you. And it doesn't stop there, though. If if you want to grow in your spiritual life, then you need to be diligent. If you don't want your spiritual life stunted, then the seed of the Word must be properly cared for. You must remove the worldly weeds that would choke out the new life you have in Christ, and you must continue to cultivate the Word that is planted in you so it'll grow. You need to persevere in the Word. You must be diligent, and you cannot sit back. You should not suppose that the new life in you will grow simply on its own. And that's what James is teaching us this morning. Now, when you quickly just read the passage, it's clear that the centrality of the Word of God is the main issue, and it's connected to the previous verses. In verse 18, he, say, he spoke of the, the Word of Truth. And then in verse 19, excuse me, verse 21, he speaks of the implanted word. In verse 22, he says the word. In verse 23, he says the word again. And then in verse 25, he refers to the word as the perfect law, the law of liberty. 
And so growth in the Christian life, uh, the, the growth of true spiritual life comes through the Word of God. And so what James does here is move from birth to growth. You were born to grow. Grow in your sanctification. And the role that the Word of God plays in our growth cannot be overestimated. See, now that you are born again, James is going to tell you three things that must be true of us, that must be true in regards to the Word of God if we're going to grow in it. And these are the three points of today's sermon. You must hear the Word, you must receive the Word, and you must do the Word. Hear the Word, receive the Word, do the Word. Sanctification, growing in holiness, becoming more like Jesus, comes by hearing, receiving, and doing the Word of God. Well, first you must hear the Word. Look at verse 19 and 20. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Now, James here is speaking of being quick to hear the word, slow to speak in regards to the Bible, the word, and slow to anger in regards to the word. Of course, these apply uh, uh, to our personal relationships. Of course, we need to be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger in our relationships. But the context here is the Word of God. All, All these phrases are in the present tense. The idea is that of continual action. Let every person continue to be quick to hear. Let every person continue to be slow to speak. Let every person continue to be slow to anger. It's a continual action. Sinclair Ferguson on his sermon here says, he he talks about a dance that we must go through. Uh, The steps are quick, slow, slow, quick, slow, slow, quick, slow, slow. Uh, To be quick to hear the word is to be attentive to it. It's an eagerness to listen to the preached word, not just fill your devotional quota. When I was in Bible college, we had a quota we had to fulfill um, to, to do well. Um, I guess it was meant to get us a habit of studying the Word. But oftentimes we would just nonchalantly finish it so we could get the grade. And that's not what he's talking about here. We need to come to the Word knowing uh, that God is there and He's going to speak to us in it. And and that there should be an excitement knowing that He's going to speak. And so you must be quick to hear, but you must also be slow to speak. You cannot listen carefully while you're talking or even while you're thinking about what to say. You know how that works in relationships. You ever share your heart with someone and you're trying to talk to them and, and, you're, and you're giving your opinion and thoughts on something and they're so quick to speak they haven't even heard what you said. Uh, it happens often. They want to correct you or, or give their opinion. They're paying more attention to what they're going to say than what you just said. Well, that can happen when it comes to the preaching of the Word, to the Word of God. You must be careful not to be thinking about your own thoughts while someone else is trying to communicate God's Word. Now, this is something that's difficult for preachers. Because as preachers, when someone else is preaching, I am critiquing, saying, well, I wouldn't have done it that way. Right? Or, I, I, oh, I'm going to steal that. And, and, and see, I'm not listening to the Word, submitting to the Word. What I'm doing is critiquing the preaching of the Word. I'm so busy thinking of how I would interpret the word or preach the text that I'm not really hearing what the preacher is saying. 
That's true of pastors and, and Bible scholars and, and maybe professors. But in our entertainment culture, it's, the danger for, it's a danger for everybody. Often people kind of come to the Word of God, to hear the preaching of the Word, like you're, you're here now. Is, you ever see those music uh, shows where they, they, the people that come up and they, they think they can sing because Grandma told them they could? And, and Simon Cal has to tell them, no, you really can't sing. And, and what happens? They go before them and they sing and then they're critiqued. Well, well, in this case, the congregation plays the role of the judge and the preacher is the contestant. And you'll, you'll judge my facial expressions. Um, did I enunciate correctly? Was I funny enough? And we do that intuitively sometimes. We, we all do that. So, and then you rate the person. That was a four. That was a six. I know you all thought every one of my sermons are tens, but, but you get the point. Uh, that's not how it's supposed to be, of course. Let me, let me put it this way, with all humility, even with a little fear and trepidation as I, I've read at the thought, but let me say it boldly. When, when, a, when a preacher stands behind the pulpit to bring God's word on God's day, he's, he's literally standing in Christ's stead as God's mouthpiece, as if God himself was speaking. It isn't playtime. It's not a time to nap. I'm, I'm not an entertainer. Preachers are not here to amuse you. I'm not God. I, oh, what am I here for? I'm here to be God's herald of his word. Peter said it this way, speaking is one who speaks the oracles of God. See, this is the time right now, right as I'm speaking, when God Almighty personally addresses his people. We've been addressing God. We've sung praises to God. We've lifted up our requests to God in prayer. God has spoken to us a word of promise as Nathan read it. And, and so he spoke back to us. But now, now is the time when God says, let me have your attention. I want to preach to you and tell you what my word says. God is speaking. Christ promises, as it were, to come down from heaven and speak. One writer kind of put it this way. He's putting the preacher in his rightful place. This is how he sees it. His throne is the pulpit. He stands in Christ's stead. His message is the word of God. Around him are immortal souls. The Savior unseen is beside him. The Holy Spirit broods over the congregation. Angels gaze upon the scene, and heaven and hell await the issue. The writer says, what associations and what responsibility? That is why I come before you each week with both humility and boldness, with fear and excitement, trepidation and, and anticipation. That's the responsibilities of a preacher. And yet you bear some of the responsibility as well. Of course, praying for the preacher, but the point of the passage, you must do the dance each week. Quick, slow, slow. Quick, slow, slow. Quick to hear, slow to speak, and then he says slow to anger. In verse 19, now there are two words for anger. One denotes the violent, passionate outburst of anger, a sudden violent rage. And the other is used for a more settled and persistent kind of hostility. 
uh, uh, infuriated disposition. You're angry. That's the word used here. It's the kind of anger that's kept inside. It's something that God knows about and you know about, but maybe others don't. One writer says, James is saying by using that word that you must not allow yourself to have a disposition or a hostility to the word of God when it confronts your preconceived ideas or notions or thoughts or beliefs. You must not be quickly provoked by what you hear. The other week when I preached on James, James said that God is sovereign over who is saved. He chooses. Uh, people get all up in a huff over the topic of election. The scriptures teach it. It, it, it is clear. Uh, the word of God confronts our, our preconceived ideas of free will or, or what's fair about how we're saved. And, and, and so we, we get hostility towards the word. Instead of hearing the word, we get angry inside. In the Old Testament, it's like a man who stones the prophet for delivering God's message. You become angry at the word because it reveals God's truth to you and it reveals your evil heart. That's, of course, if I'm preaching the truth. You still are to be Bereans and discern, but you must come with a humble spirit. That is what James is warning you about. An angry spirit is a never-listening spirit. It's not a teachable spirit. And so James is asking, how do you respond when the Bible steps on your toes? When it says what you don't want to hear, when it confronts how you think, when it confronts how you live. And so the call is really to have a teachable spirit. Hey, I've mentioned John Calvin before from the pulpit. John Calvin doesn't say much about his life. It wasn't his personality. Um, however, and that means we don't know much about his conversion, but in his Psalms commentary, I believe it is, he kind of shares a little bit about his conversion, and this is what he has to say. He said, God subdued and brought my mind to a teachable frame. Calvin was a brilliant man. He knew a lot. And, and, and he's saying, God brought and subdued my mind to a teachable frame. That's what James is saying. See, a person with a teachable frame, a person with a teachable spirit and a teachable heart doesn't fight against God and his word. He submits to his word as a servant submits to his master. It's uh, this disposition where you come under the word. And so do you want to grow in righteousness? Then you must stop fighting God's word and submit to it. As verse 20 says, the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. And so you must let go your anger toward the Word of God and pray that God subdues and brings your mind to a teachable spirit. And that leads to verse 21 in our second point. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted Word which is able to save your souls. You must hear the Word, but you must receive the Word as well. And in order to receive the Word... James says you must remove, take away all filthiness and rampant wickedness. Certain things must be removed and disposed of. The picture here is that I've taken off filthy, dirty clothes so we can put on proper clothes. James is saying if you wish to receive and benefit from the implanted word, you must get rid of the sin it has revealed to you. All the sin, he says, all filthiness, all rampant wickedness. The whole dirty mess of wickedness is what he's saying. Remove it all. Get rid of every trace of it. 
And see, this is why we need to persevere. No sooner do we remove one weed than another springs up. This is the problem when I would help my grandmother in the garden. I'd go out there and try to make her proud, remove some weeds. She'd come out the next day, they're back. She said, what are you doing? She would confront me. And so we must be diligent to do the negative work. We have to remove a weed. As soon as we remove one seed of sin, well, another will be planted. And so the old habits, all the old activities must be removed. All the old sinful attitudes and behaviors that we carried into our new life must go. That's the idea. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says about this. If anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. If you're a believer, you're a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. That's 2 Corinthians 5.17. Here's Ephesians 4. Put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. Put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Ephesians 4. That's how we're to live now. And here's Colossians 3, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices. These are the old ways. Slandering and getting angry and having wrath and slandering other people and, and, and talking in an obscene way. All these things, that's how you used to live. Get rid of them now. You're new. Get rid of them. All sin must be dealt with. John MacArthur says you must confess, repent, and eliminate every vestige and semblance of evil that corrupts your life and reduces your hunger for God's word. All the things that stand in its way. And when that is done, he says, then you can truly receive the word, uh, word of God and are ready for the positive command. Receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Now that word... Salvation, receive is the command, receive is the imperative, it's the basic command, everything else resolves around it. The word means to welcome or receive into one's home. It also means to take into one hand and grasp, take into your hand and grasp. It's the idea that the word of God finds a warm welcome in your life. Um, Luke uses the terms receive in describing the Bereans in Acts. You know, I, I mentioned this a second ago. Receive the word with all readiness of mind and search the scriptures daily. They were hearing the preaching of the, of the apostles. And, and they had to, they, they were receiving the word and they were discerning to make sure it, what was being said was true. Paul used it in 1 Thessalonians 2. When you receive the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but what it really is, the word of God which is at work in you believers. Now, the manner in which it should be received is with meekness and humility. That's the opposite of being quick to speak and quick to anger. The word meekness describes the perfect conquest uh, uh, and control of everything in your nature, which would be a hindrance to seeing, hearing, and receiving the word. One dictionary describes it that way. And so to receive the word with meekness or humility is to welcome God's word of truth into your heart without hindrance. The word is implanted in you. It lives in you. It has taken up residence in your heart. And James is saying you should welcome it with open arms. Or to use the earlier analogy, you must cultivate your heart so it finds the 
proper soil to grow in. That was an important part, of course, in the garden of my grandmother. And the background for James comes from, most likely, the parable of the sower. You know that. In Matthew 13, Jesus said a farmer goes out to sow seed, and he finds different type of soil. It was scattered the seed. Some fell along a path, and birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came out, the plants were scorched, and they withered. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil, where it produced a crop a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. He who has ears, Jesus says, let him hear. It's the same thing James is saying in our passage. He's saying your heart needs to have have good soil, as it were, a soil that produces a crop a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what is sown. And what is being sown is the word of God. And so, beloved, we need to work at removing the sinful weeds from our lives and then water our souls with meekness so that the word implanted in us will grow and produce spiritual fruit. That's what James is saying. And he gives you a motive. As if it wasn't enough that God commanded it, he gives you a motive to have such a welcoming attitude when it comes to the word of God. The word implanted in you is able to save your souls. Verse 21. Now, there are three different aspects of salvation in view here. Past, present, and future. The past aspect is God used his word, this was a previous sermon, to regenerate you and give you new birth. And so his word gave you rebirth. That was the past. That's what happened in the past. The present aspect is that the word aids you in what? In your sanctification, in your growth. It's the constant resource to build you up and helps you to grow. And then the future aspect is the word also preserves us, keeps us in the faith, and promises that we will be eternally secure and will someday be glorified. That's the word of God. That's what it does. Think about it this way. It freed you from the penalty of sin. It's progressively freeing you from the power of sin now. And it promises that someday you will be free from the very presence of sin. And so you should welcome the word into your life with all humility. Why? Because the condition of your soul depends upon it. And so James has told us we must hear the word, be attentive to it. We must receive the word. You are to welcome it into your life. But hearing and receiving is not enough. You must also be a doer of the word, which is our third point. Look at verse 22. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Now that word doer is a favorite of James. It's only mentioned two other times in the New Testament, but James uses it four times here himself. We are to be doers. Again, it's in a present imperative. We are to constantly be doing the word, putting it into practice. And he doesn't want us to be deceived by this. Be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. This is another issue that could be a problem for preachers. We study the word. We need to understand it so we can uh, debate it and we debate it. And it could be just to be able to make a theological debate and be the winner of it. And he gives us the picture here of a man, though, who looks in a literal mirror. That's verses 23 and 24. So you have that man. And then you have a man who looks into the mirror of the Word. This is the illustration. Now, the man in the literal mirror looks at his face, and then he goes away and forgets what he saw. 
where the man who's looking in the mirror of the word looks into it, but he perseveres and he acts on what he sees. It's not a contrast between the, uh, the, the, somebody with a quick glance contrasted with an intent gaze. Both of these people in this illustration look intently. It's what they do with the information is the contrast. Each is equally serious about what, look, what they see in the mirror. The difference is what they do next. The man who looked into the mirror and saw his face, he saw the dirt on his face, the, the smudges on his nose. He had, the, he had the broccoli between his teeth. And he goes away. He sees it. He goes away and does nothing about it. It's silly. Um, but that's not how it's supposed to be. And that is where the deception lies. See, the mirror is meant to do what? It's meant to reveal your blemishes so that you can do something about them. And, and to just pick up the mirror, you see, uh, the problem is that if you're just looking in the mirror, what good is it going to do? You're not going far enough. You must do something with the information. I mean, comb your hair or something, right? You do some about it. We all see you. And so James is saying we have a choice. Either we can be deceived, verse 22, or we can be blessed, verse 25. That is the choice. Deceived or blessed. And it all comes down to whether we walk away from hearing and receiving the word and fail to take the next step. See, it's one thing for you to spend 20 minutes each morning reading and meditating on the word. James says, well done. You should do that. But what about obeying the word? Will you take the next step and receive the blessing? That's what James wants to know. Will you obey it? That is the question. Will you obey the word? See, James wants you to be delivered from the delusion that accumulating knowledge is enough. Again, that's where pastors and theologians can struggle because we accumulate a lot of knowledge. And oftentimes it's not put into practice. And, and, and we live off of the knowledge. You must never be content with merely hearing or receiving. You must look into the perfect law, he says. Look into the perfect law, the law of liberty. That idea, look into, it's kind of like the apostle John when he stooped into the empty tomb of Jesus. That's the same word. The person's bending over the word in this soul-absorbing study. He sees in the word more deeply because he perseveres in the word. He meditates upon the word. See, this is more than a five-minute quiet time. I love the daily bread out there. And if you use that, it's wonderful. But if you think that you've absorbed the word, that you looked intently into the word because you read the one scripture and the story... You're kidding yourself. You're deceiving yourself. There's nothing wrong with it. Pick it up. Please use it. Use the Ligonier Guide table talk. It's all helpful. But that is not absorbing the word if you just spend those five minutes. A person like this saturates himself in the mirror of the word, allowing the word to reflect back to him all his sins, all his faults, all his blemishes. And he welcomes that because he knows that it's to a benefit. The mirror of the word is perfect, the perfect law, James says. And so if you're going to gaze into the mirror of the word, you're going to see problems. You're going to see a contradiction between what it says and how you live. That's the truth. It's perfect. We're not. 
The law is the rule that reveals the will of God to his people. And the more than that, when you look into the mirror of the word, what you see is the image of a holy, immutable, transcendent, almighty, and awesome God. That's who we see. We see Jesus Christ lifted up and exalted. And that God demands perfection. And so even a quick gaze, a quick gaze should cause you to conclude that you don't measure up, that you fall short. And so gazing into the Word of God can be a painful experience if you're willing to hear and receive. And so it it could be painful Sins that you never knew you had are are exposed. Things that we just take for granted in our day and age, in our culture, go up to any non-believer that hasn't grown up to a church, go to some college campus, and start naming off some of the things that the Bible says are sin. And and, and they'll be like, what? It it seems so foreign. But if we're going to submit to the word, we're going to hear it, it'll expose those sins. It'll expose the lies that we've believed, all the falsehoods we believed. But know this, that is true, that is true, but it's not just the law. It's not just the law. James tells us it's the law of what? It's the law of liberty. It's a law that gives freedom. See, law and liberty can go together because it not only includes the Old Testament law, it includes the teachings of Christ. Uh, The good news that Christ fulfilled the law. The good news that Jesus paid for all our sins on the cross. The good news that he rose again so that we may be forgiven of all these blemishes, all these evils that we see that were committed when we reflect at the word of God. The good news that Jesus, because Jesus measured up, because he kept the law, that he didn't fall short, that now we are declared righteous in his sight. That's why we can go to it and hear that we're sinners and see that we're sinners because we know the same God who declares us sinners is the same God who sent his son to die for us that we may be forgiven. And so not only does the word of God reveal your sin, it can change you. It can affect change. See, first, when you looked into the mirror of the word, you see your sin and it drives you outside of yourself because you realize you're a sinner and you turn to Christ for cleansing. And then because you've been born again, having the word of God implanted in your hearts, it can change you from the inside out. It can conform you into the image of Christ as you obey by the power of the Holy Spirit. There is no way, even a month before I was saved, that I thought I could get up here and do what I'm doing now without cursing a lot. But God changed me, just as one example. There are other changes. Would have never imagined. In fact, that was one of my greatest fears when I became a preacher, that that a bad word was going to slip every now and then. But see, God changes you from the inside out through the word. See, the law is a law of liberty because in it, Christ enables us to live the way we were created to live. Christ's law sets us free inwardly and outwardly to live as we ought. And that's the only way we're going to be blessed if we're living as we ought. See, that's how Christ lived. Think about it. He heard the word. He received the word. And he obeyed the word. In fact, he was 
the Word, and He's the perfect man, and He was truly blessed by the Father. And so you should never be content when looking into the mirror of the Word until you see staring back at you your Savior, Jesus Christ. That's the ultimate test if you've penetrated into the Word, is when you see in it, on every page, Jesus Christ. And you should never stop until you're conformed perfectly into his image, which is not until eternity. And so you must persevere in the word. See, the blessing, beloved, the blessing in hearing, receiving, and obeying the word is that you become like Jesus, is that you become like your Savior. It's through the word of God, through the preaching of the written word, that we become more and more like Jesus. Well, let me close by summarizing what James has said about the word. It will do us well to remember this. He's called it the seed which implants life. It's life-giving. It's a mirror that shows us who we truly are. It's revealing. It's the perfect law of liberty. It's liberating. Why? Because it has the power to create anew, sanctify, and preserve us until Christ returns. It provides true freedom, true freedom, liberation from the guilt and dominion of sin, And it has this power, beloved, because of the message that it contains. Because as I said, when you look into the Word, you see your Savior. This is why we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. See, when you hear the Word of God, you're hearing Christ. When you receive the word of God, you're receiving Christ. And when you obey the word of God, you are obeying Christ. And so James says here, receive and obey your Lord and master as he speaks to you in his word. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. How easy it is to preach about obeying the word and receiving the word and not judging the word and listening and how difficult it is to carry out. And so we pray, Lord, you'd forgive us for not being attentive when you speak to us. Give us ears to hear that you may be glorified and we may be blessed by you. In Christ's name, amen.